You're listening to The Table Talk with your host, Anthony Irvin, a.k.a. Spoken Light. Tune in every other Thursday starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with me and a new special guest live on Facebook and Twitch. Without further ado, let's start the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Table Talk. This is episode 28, and we are live tonight doing this episode. I'm glad to be back live. I love interacting with you guys during the show, and uh, our last episode, we did a previously recorded episode, which was very fun, and you know, I was able to do a, a couple different things with it of uh, you know promoting, but uh, I love being able to react with everybody in real time, and I got an awesome guest for you guys tonight. Uh, it's one of my good uh, uh, Good buddies. We haven't uh, talked in a while, but we had a lot of fun times playing at some open jams a couple years ago, and I'm stoked to talk to him. Uh, we had a little conversation last night, and you know, just talking about some old times and everything. And if you guys want to check out some of that bonus footage that's going to be coming live right after the taping of this. Uh, episode tonight and if you're watching later uh this will already be out but uh you can uh go to the patreon page and become a patreon today going to patreon.com slash table underscore talk i love my community over there and i want to give a shout out to uh bernadette uh david and mary who have been very supportive in the uh the private community over there on uh patreon and if you guys want to join tonight Feel free to go to the link that's in the description, or if you're watching later, uh, go find it right. Uh, it's usually in the description of the episodes, so feel free. I would love to j have you guys join the private community. You guys get access to, uh, you know, uh, updates for the episodes, who's coming in weeks to come. You'll be getting bonus footage after the uh, episodes. You'll get video downloads and some private live streams that I just started uh, putting uh, in. So we're going to be getting uh, very close to doing some private live streams of talking about old episodes, maybe even some music uh, live streams for you guys personally. So uh, you know, feel free to check that out. There's three tiers, and would love uh, for you guys to check that out. And for those who are watching at a later time, uh, you guys make sure to check out the episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're uh, you know, giving us a review, following, and subscribing. It helps out the channel, helps out the podcast a lot. Thank you for everybody who has been supporting the channel since day one. So, without further ado, everybody, let's get in our special guest tonight, Mr. Tim... Jones. What's up, my man? How you doing? What's up, everybody? How are you? Good, good, man. Glad to have you on here. It's been a while. <laughs> it is an honor and a pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And I was stoked to, uh, for you to be saying that you wanted to, you know, ask me for so long, and then it just took me like, hey, I need, I need a couple people. And I know Tim's been, uh, you know, I, I've always had a good connection with uh, guitars with him, and I'm like, dude, I got to have him on the show. We got to talk guitars. We got to talk music. And I know we like like a lot of the same uh, types of music, so I had to get you on here, and you know, I, uh, you know do some music talk and see what's going on in that brain of yours, man. <laughs> like I said, it was honestly like a great surprise when you'd reach out and was like, Hey, do you want to be on? Cause I was like, what? I wanted to be on anyway. <laughs> so it was a great feeling of being like, Oh my God, people think I'm dope. People that I look up to musically think I'm dope. There you <laughs> like, go, man. That was and, really and, cool and 
that's the best feeling is like when you have people that come to you that like you said that actually you feel that they're like at another level than you but then they come to you and you're like wow like i feel important you know <laughs> that's so, really how it made you feel honestly <laughs> <laughs> yeah man so uh for those who are watching uh you know why don't you give everybody a uh, little background to who you are uh so for those who are watching my name is tim jones i was raised in chester pennsylvania which everybody here i'm probably assuming is from delco and knows where that is uh, I went to Notre Dame de Lourdes, which is a great school in Swarthmore, and then I went to Monsignor Bonner High School. So I've been playing music since I was about eight. That's when I started playing drums. Mm -hmm. uh, I picked up guitar in high school because that's what got the chicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's why everybody usually goes to guitar. So for me, it was really drawing just because I remember seeing ace freely and his smoking guitar and i thought that was the coolest thing ever mm -hmm. i'm like you have smoke coming out of your pickups and i at the time you know you're a naive child so you're like it's real yeah he's really playing that good but then you're you grow up and you're like oh man the electronics behind that is genius right so seeing that it was like what can i do with the guitar so i went from being a, not obsessed with kiss because their music's not all that great. Right. Um, just with the guitar. And then I found Guns N' Roses. And then I found Hendrix. Yeah. And I found Pink Floyd and was like, my whole brain yeah. exploded. So that was kind of when back in high school, I decided like, uh, I don't need anything in life. I'm just going to be a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the go the golden uh, opportunity to be like, get you know, uh, enough of college. I'm just going to, you know, rock this thing out and see where it takes me you know <laughs> exactly that was my plan that was literally like i was like i might go to college which i did i went to community college for a couple of years to yeah. do psychology but i actually dropped out to go on tour there you go <laughs> and who and so who was the like, band that you went on tour and who was I the went. band you went on tour with in case it rains in case it rains yeah that's uh with my buddy kevin sataris right Yep. Yes, sir. That was yeah, the man. first band that I'd ever toured in and the first band that I was like in, in that played shows like that. I um, mm -hmm. was in a band before. My first band was called Sour Potatoes. <laughs> Interesting um, name. <laughs> it was me and a drummer. And the only reason we formed a band was to open up for Slash because we wanted to uh, join this competition. I think was, I like, remember that. Band. Yeah, I, th I think well, I slightly that. remember that competition. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's do it. And yeah. we were out back in the house thinking of a name. And I was like, I'll think of an adjective. And you think of an L. And I said sour. And he said potato. And I was like, why don't we just do potato? And he was like, nah, that's too boring. <laughs> so it was funny. We used to call our fans tater tots. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it worked out for me. <laughs> that's awesome. So you uh, got into those uh, bands, you did the tour, the touring and everything, and you know, you stuck with guitar, but now uh, you have started to run like your own company, right? Like your own, uh, yes, your, you know, ma you're either you're managing or, you know, uh, other artists and uh, MCs. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Nice. So, and, and, what, and what's that uh, company called? So it's called Altruistic Vision. Uh -huh. um, the name came from, I don't like the word selfless because I'm really weird with words as a writer. 
and just someone who's kind of into spirituality, like words to me are very important. So I didn't want to have something be called selfless vision because to me it's like you're less of self. Right. And altruistic is a cooler version to say selfless, basically. Right. Um, and my plan and what my goals are with altruistic vision is eventually to become a label that doesn't treat their artists like slaves. Right. Um, I had an experience where I was touring in Long Island for a while mm-hmm. and kind of got to see the repercussions of being assigned to artist. Yeah. And it sucked. It was terrible. And I didn't want anybody to have to go through what me and my group went through. Mm. So I came home and was like, all right, I'm taking all of my favorite artists that I love and putting everybody together. And that's how it all starts, man. Yeah. The next Wu Tang, basically. Yeah, and it's funny how um, you know you're talking about the labels and everything because I I had you know a very small experience with a a label I won't put them on blast or anything, uh, but you know how you were saying like they just you know the you grow up wanting to be on a label and you know doing the whole you know I want to sell out Madison Square Garden I want to be the big guy but you don't realize a lot of these labels and there are some good labels out there but a lot of these major companies out there that give you the big contracts and everything a lot of people don't realize you got to pay that money back once you do that album and then you're like you said it's like you're a slave to the contract and that's why a lot i mean unless you are a you know a metallica that doesn't have to worry about you know underpaid being underpaid or anything you I mean you're pretty much your own band but like uh a lot of these people you know go in and you know they try to there was one label that was talking to and they tried to you know say that you know the my image has to change i have to do this maybe you you can be better as a country person and you'll have to drop a little bit of weight first and all this and i'm like dude like if that's what it has to take for me to get on your label then I mean, I'm not changing my personal self to fit what you want me to do. If, if, and you know, so it's something that, and that, that just kind of blew me away from it. Cause there's nothing that you know, if, if you can't be you, you can't be your own musician, then why try to change yourself to fit, you know, somebody else's mold, because then you're just being exactly. somebody else that you're not, you know? And that's to me, like, so demeaning. Mm-hmm. You're going to take someone who you're like, I love your talent. I love who you are. I love what you're doing. I love this and that all about you. And let me take that and then change it and put you to who I want you to be. Exactly. And it's completely unfair and it's demeaning, belittling. And people wonder why these artists end up not wanting to do music, stop releasing music, go away from the scene, go cr- go crazy, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And have all these issues within themselves because they're being driven crazy. They're being, people don't realize how hard it is to go to the studio on a consistent basis, do all of that. Yeah. Have a family, go to work. Cause some of these artists still work jobs because if you're not touring, you're not making money. If you're not selling merchandise, you're not making money. If you're not selling records, you're not making money. And everything is about making money. So you have to have, all these other sources of income, which is why people like, you know, Rihanna has her um, undergarment line, Fenty. Kanye yeah. has Yeezy. Like, all these people go off and do other things because the music industry just wants to, like, rip everything from you and take all of your yeah. talent, your skills, and your money. 
And in the end, it, in the end, you do understand it's a business and people got to make money no matter what. So you understand on that aspect, but on the same level as the fact that if you, again, going back to the same points, if you have to change an artist in order to say, okay, well, if we just get him to do it this way, that's going to make us more like, if you can't like an artist for what they're delivering to you at, at first, that's why a lot of, like you were saying, that's why a lot of artists these days are going independent. So they don't have to worry about a label. I mean, I still feel today you do need a label for some things, but there's oh, so I many. There are some things that you can do. Like there's people on uh, that are independent that are booking U.S. tours and they don't even have a label backing them. So it's it. Uh, it we live in a world today that you don't necessarily need to per- like you don't need to rely on it. But it, it still is helpful, but it's not like back in the 80s, like the big boom of, you know, the uh, the hair metal bands and all those that, that, that yeah. were down on uh, the strip and just picking up people like one and one saying like, all right, let's sign this person to sign that person. But it's not like that today. Like it's more than they're they're not going to up and, you know, start looking for talent. They need talent to come to them because, you know. They they're not willing to spend the money out front as much as they used to, so they want to make sure that you're going to make them money before they have to pitch out money. So I think that it's I don't think it's a lose lose situation when you join a label, but I think it's like you lose more than you gain because mm-hmm. yeah, you have them to do all this promotion for you. They they do you know your A and R your music videos, but you're paying for it anyway. So you might as well just be independent and pay for it yourself because the only difference is all of the promotion that you're getting out. And, you know, once you break it down, something I love when people talk about is numbers. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, this person has so many records sold. And it's like, how many of them were bought? Right. Like, you you can't judge a person on numbers anymore. You can't really focus on the things that the labels are supposed to be here for Mm -hmm. like i remember one of my favorite lines in uh red man song is how can you be hot when you paid for your billboard spot Mm. and that for me was like one of the biggest like oh man people actually do that like record companies will go to radio stations and be like here's a list of all the songs that we want you to play yeah. And from this time to this time, you're going to play this. From this time to this time, you're going to play this. You're going to play this song this many amount of times. Here's a stack of money. Right. And it's so controlled that luckily now we're in an age where we have streaming services to where we can do our own distribution. Yes. We've taken back everything that they have been taking from us for years. And then now you got to worry about the streaming services that are taking money from the artists now too. So it's like not yeah, well, not only the labels, but now it's, it's I got to I got to get my points oh oh six cents out of this one stream. <laughs> it's, that, cra- it's, like it's crazy. It's crazy when you me. see those numbers and like to to an outsider that's like saying like you know oh well you must be making a lot of money on the streaming services and stuff because I mean you're getting well I mean you'd have to probably get a couple thousand streams to probably make a hundred dollars off of, you know, Spotify or anything. And, uh, you know, I, I think Apple, uh, Apple music pays a little bit more, but even then, I mean, I know it, 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 that's, I think that's the next thing that's going to eventually, you know, get into the circle of like, you know, the streaming services, hopefully, you know, gaining 
uh, a little respect back to the artist that they are, you know, making them so much money. At, but then we're getting so little back in return. Like if it wasn't for us, your platform will be nothing. So, you know, to the and artist, that, it should be more yeah. like, okay, we should be respecting more of the artists that are making us this money, you know? So it baffles me that the world takes entertainment for granted because mm-hmm. music is everywhere. Yeah. Your movies, your, your TV shows, your car, your stores, everything has music but right. people want to be like oh re- music isn't a real job we don't have to take care of the artists we don't have to worry about them yeah like we're supplying you constant entertainment every form of entertainment yeah. has music in it with the exception of physical art just because you don't wake up and go to a nine to five it is literally a nine to five it's literally a 24 seven job in a way because especially exactly. if you are the independent artist you're worrying about you know making the music, promoting the music, playing the gigs, preparing the gigs, and, you're, you're, and then you're worrying about, you know, uh, the financial and the business side of it. You're everything if you don't have extra help with, uh, you know, certain services and stuff. But, like, it is like a 24-7 job. But, you know, to the outside person, it doesn't, you know, see the fact that, like, oh, well, I mean, if you're not going – uh, getting up for work, driving, you know, 20 miles to, you know, go to a job that you are like, you know, 50, 50 about, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to, you know, work at a company that I love, uh, and I went to school for, and I love what I do. Uh, and I'm blessed to actually be able to do music actually as, you know, a second part-time that I felt now, like it used to always just be like a hobby, but now I feel like I've gotten to the level of, I can, pretty much consider it as almost like a part-time thing for me right now that uh music has become a part-time job of myself and you know i put a lot of time into it and you know it's one of those things where if people don't see the ins and outs of it you know they if they see more of like the behind the scenes of what a lot of these musicians go through they're like okay now, now i see you know you just see the person up on stage for you know an hour for an hour or two and that's all you see but you don't see the prep time of like the months and months of you know booking those tours and the preparing rehearsals. for the tours and the heart rehearsals and everything you know it's it it's uh when it comes down it's all the uh in perspective of what you see you know sometimes you're only like seeing one dimensional when you're, you're not seeing the full picture behind it you know see like if you ask my artist when it's sh- like becoming showtime that's the moment when they hate me because I run what we call Hell Week, uh-huh. where the week before a show, we have rehearsal every night. Mm. And it's we go through everybody's set. We go through everybody's – sometimes we go through everybody's choreography. You know, we're going to go through everybody's crowd interaction chants, what you're going to say in between each uh-huh. song. Like, we go hard. So you're very particular with like, ta- ta- like you know, choreography, getting down every little aspect of the show. Like, you're, like you said, you put on a performance and in like an entertainment show before actually yeah. thinking about it. it. It's a music show, but you're making sure you're entertaining people at the same time. Yeah, because that's our job as artists. Like, mm-hmm. yes, as an artist, we're supposed to create and be authentically ourselves, and you know, produce that and give that to the world. But at the same time, the world's coming to see us. So we need to make sure that we give them a good show. Absolutely, man. I totally agree. So it's like we're not keen to, you know, where the girls – so I have four artists. There's uh, myself, Charisma, who's one of my singers, and an MC. Uh Sykes, who is an MC, and then Courage, who is a singer. 
Uh-huh. When it comes to charisma and courage, they don't have to, you know, dance a specific way or dress a specific way because I'm not about that sh- yeah. stuff. Um, I really don't like when... So something I'm really, like, against is misogyny in the music industry. Mm-hmm. I don't like how the music industry objectifies women, and I find it unfair that women have to go out and, you know, dress a specific way for somebody to come listen to their music. It's just like, you know, with a lot of the uh, artists that are out there, I mean, I think the biggest controversial things out there, like the uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Cardi B doing all their stuff, like, you know, I think they can be good artists on themselves, but, you know, let's 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 call it sex sells you know yeah you know that's completely okay i love the fact that sex sells because to me like that's women taking the power back Mm. like it's like you're gonna go sell your body you're strong as shit right i mean if that's i cannot do that if that's what uh, if that's what you're comfortable with then like again you know there there comes a time where you know if you have that you know type of personality that you don't care what people think and this is you then hey be my guest but obviously in this day and age with everybody being on the internet everybody's gonna have an opinion about and and, and just even if not everybody's not you're we're we're artists not everybody's gonna like you you're gonna get people that are be like you know what this is not my style then you're okay cool then just you know slide off let the let the next person come but there's always that there's always those couple people that are gonna give you that negativity but it's up to you to kind of just keep looking at the positives of uh you know what people are interacting with you you know and it's like it's so oversaturated it's overused and and like it's it goes for both people like Megan and people like the baby and people mm. like something I, as a hip hop artist, like as an MC, mm. I'm constantly in hip hop debates. And mm. when people ask me, I'm old school as shit. I'm what they call a conscious rapper. Uh-huh. Like to me, when I think hip hop, I think of the acronym higher infinite power healing our people. Mm. So okay. like I make hip hop to raise the vibrations and express my creativity in with some crazy ass rhyme scream schemes, uh-huh. but in a way to uplift people. Like yeah. you're not gonna hear me talking about money, cars, and clothes unless I'm doing it ironically, making fun of somebody. Yeah. And like, you know, if I eventually make it big, like, yeah, once I start buying nice cars, I'm gonna rap about my nice cars. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I'm gonna be like, hey, everything that I did on that first album telling you to do, you now go do, and you can have a nice car too. Right. So it's like I don't like that boastful, like, weird shit. Like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes a trap song comes on and I'm like, hey, that's a dope beat. But if it's not lyrical and full of substance, I really don't care about it. Right. So when, you know, Megan and Megan drops something like, I think the song's called, like, That Shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a dope song. Megan got bars. It's a dope beat. But it's not something I'm going to listen to. Right. And, and I, I kind of feel the same way with you. Like I'm more of, I, I'm not a fan of today's, you know, rap and hip hop. Cause I, like you said, I feel that they don't, they don't talk about anything. There's maybe one or two people that, you know, I, I'm, I listen to, you know, Drake, even though Drake has kind of gotten a little bit stale, 
but yeah. there's been like one or two. I've just started getting a little bit more into Post Malone and all those. I mean, he has a couple good things there, but like I, I'm, I'll always go back to like the you know early '90s hip hop, the the Biggies, the Tupac's. They were saying stuff, and they, they they weren't just like you said, they weren't just talking about, uh, you know, things that they necessarily wish they had but they're talking about like they're talking about the struggles that they went through in you know their hometowns and you know talking about the up the upbringings they had like they were talking about real stuff where now Mm -hmm. i feel it's like you're just saying stuff to say that but you don't really live that type of lifestyle and you're just living you're living off of a lie (laughs) I can't really say it about everybody. If there's people watching, and uh, please don't hate on it. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving my total opinion. <laughs> but <laughs> people are gonna hate on me when I start talking hip hop because I get so passionate, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like an anomaly, anomaly, whatever they want to call it. Um, uh-huh. I'm very specific with like everything about hip-hop i'm like if your rhyme schemes aren't dope if you have whack lyrics and more than 10 songs like i'm so specific with my hip-hop and what i listen to just because of like my beliefs of like words or spells and i don't want to say the wrong thing and speak the wrong thing into the universe yeah so it's like i only really listen to like i'm gonna say so from 80 like six to like 2000 uh-huh. is what I mainly listen to. And then obviously because I was growing up in the 2000s, you know, I love things like 50 Cent and yeah. Lil Ton just because I was growing up and it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, oh man, oh, that's what I was listening to. That's, that's that seems like to? a good, like 86, to two, like early 2000s. Like- that kind of seems like a good decade of, you know, type of stuff. And I think I like, cause I was born in 86. So, I mean, I, I didn't really start listening to a lot of music until, you know, or, I mean, obviously my upbringings were in the nineties. So a lot of nineties music is, was all everything I grew up with. But, you know, I, I feel 86 to like, yeah, early two thousands, maybe cut it off at like uh 2010, maybe if anything. But, yeah. I, but, yeah. I cut it off then because Kanye dropped 808s and heartbreak in 08 uh-huh. and dropped, my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in 2010. Yeah, 2010. Mm-hmm. So and I like, know you're a big Kanye fan. I, I've I've I, seen I've seen a lot of your posts. Like you go hard on defending Kanye. Kanye <laughs> and, and here's the thing: I'm on the opposite. I've never been a Kanye fan. I mean, I know I I like him as a musician. I, res- I mean, but when he goes on, when he goes on and says I'm a genius, I'm like, dude, stop. I hate I I mean I never liked when you know people kind of have to tell other people that they're a genius where like when it coming up to like people like you know the Hendrixes and the Pink Floyds when they never had to say it people said it for them and they don't they don't Mm -hmm. when they get those type of uh, reactions from people they're like ah stop I'm just you know a regular person they don't have to like preach it like thank you for the compliment but that that's not me you know. Because, you know, with yeah, a lot of I Hendrix's hate. backstage, he just wanted to get his message out there and try to change something. He didn't really care about the fame. He didn't care about, you know, how many records he sold. He just wanted to make sure that his message was spreading to those people. Yeah, and it's like, I hate when people are like, oh, my God, you're so good. Because I'm like, stop, stop. <laughs> like, I, I'm already, like, when I'm in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm the shit. But, like, outside, I'm so, like, such right. a shy, nervous person that I'm just like, don't tell me I'm great. 
Thank you. I appreciate it, but I mean, hey, uh, I'm always the same way when it comes to, like gigs. Like I'll come off, I'll come off stage. And, like I know I had like a, a bad set, and somebody comes up to me like, like, dude, you were awesome tonight. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm okay. Why are you Thanks. Lying to me? <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> and, and the only the only person that knows when I have a bad set is my wife. Like she'll because she knows my facial expressions when I'm just having a bad set, and <laughs> she 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 like talk to somebody like. I just tell by the the uh, reactions on his face, he just messed up something. <laughs> like nobody yeah, else will notice girlfriend. it, but but she'll no, but she'll notice it. She's the only one that could probably she'll notice like when it. I'm like not having like a good time, like something's going wrong on my pedal board, or I'm not getting the tone that I'm wanting. Like so, it's you know I've had a lot of those times, and it's just like you can't get it right, and you're just like, ugh. <laughs> not getting the tone you want on stage. Uh, it's, it's the, the worst. Worst feeling ever. It is. It really is. Like, I've had a lot of mishaps on stage. I've messed up lyrics. I've tripped. I've, like, fallen off the actual stage. Oh, jeez. I've tripped on my wire and had the cord come out, and you just hear the... Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was more upsetting to me than when I went to play Sweet Child O' Mine at an open jam, and my tone didn't match. Because nobody wanted to tune down a half step and everybody just wanted to play the song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, it's half step down. Like, we have to play it half step down or it's going to sound weird. And they're like, no, no, It's fine. No, it's no, just no, it's no. just like a semitone. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, I'm, and then we played it and I'm like, oh, yeah, now you're straining your voice, buddy. Yeah. You're hurting. And that's half the reason why you? a lot of people play in E flat and not standard. And when I was playing, I used to play in standard a lot until I'm like, yeah, I mean, my voice sounds so much better when I'm in E flat. And it's, it's a very, it's a very small change, but it makes your voice sound so much better. And like you said, you're not straining as much. You don't feel like you're straining as much. So relaxing. And especially so on a Strat. I mean, everybody always says, and I, I definitely agree, uh, tuning a, a Strat down to E-flat makes it sound so much more better than playing in the standard. I love, 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 love Strats. I used to grow up hating Fenders because of Slash only playing Les Pauls. Uh, and I was like, no, like Strats are ugly. Telecasters <laughs> suck. And then I grew up. Yeah, and I played, and then you actually played one. Like, you're like, "What was I talking about?" <laughs> like, I'm sorry, yeah, like, I'm very totally... sorry, Fender. <laughs> I felt so bad for like all of the guitars that I made fun of in my life, because like, you know how you have those friends who are musicians, and they play their specifics, and you play yours, and you're like, "Well, I'm better than you because I play a Les Paul," uh -huh. and they're like, "Well, I sound better than you because I have the Fender," and I'm like. Well, my Epiphone sounds better than your Fender because I'm playing it. And it's like <laughs> things like that where I'm just like, yeah. And his Fender really did sound better than my Epiphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember having those type of, you know, arguments when I was like, in my teenage years. We all thought we were the shit and just like, you know, like we're, my band's better than yours. Well, our sound is a lot heavier. And you grow up and you're like. We did. We didn't really play that great. Any, we still sucked. I mean, <laughs> we just sucked really good. <laughs> our our amount we of sucking just sounded good to my us. My band Sour Potatoes won a ban uh, battle of the bands at the Trocadero. Mm. We got fourth place without a singer, and we just played like jazz, rock, blues, instrumental. Like it was weird. We were really fucking weird. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I don't know how we got fourth place. Because I listened to those recordings and we sucked. Mm. Like, we didn't suck, but to me, like, I'm like, oh my God, that was terrible. Like, 
I can hear me messing up in the guitar solos. I can hear, like, we had this one song where I played slide the entire song. Uh-huh. And I can hear me messing up the slide and going too high or going too low. And I'm like, do people not hear that? Isn't it do crazy when, you, when you're on stage, you, it sounds so much better, but then you go back and you listen to a recording, like, was my guitar out of tune the whole time? Like, I thought I tuned it before I played that song. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, do people really care about the music or are they just there jamming? Because it's like, right. I know there's times where I have done terrible, mm-hmm. like messed up entire guitar solos, messed up songs, and people will still come up to me and be like, that was awesome! And I'm like, you're lying. And that's the same thing with a lot so, of the cover gigs. Like, as, I think a lot of people don't care how it sounds. As long as you hit that one note in that famous song, they're they're good. Or if you hit that one guitar note in like one of those, uh, you know, top 50 billboard greatest all-time hits and stuff, as yeah. long as they hear that one little spot in a song they don't they don't care if you mess up the whole thing as long as you get that one little note people are like dude you're awesome and i mean half of them are you know uh had like three four beers in so anything kind of sounds good yeah, at that point true. but it, I, i've yeah. come to the point where you know we we've both played in original bands before and it's such a different um you know mindset when you're up there with an original band i uh, when i first started playing cover gigs i was just coming out of playing in original bands and when you get done a song when you hear that audience chant and clap and everything that lets you know okay they like it you're doing good i played my first you know cover show maybe one or two and i get done songs crickets and i'm just like it's so am, I bo- am I bombing this? But then I started, you know, talking to a lot of peers around the scene, and like, dude, you just got to realize you are a jukebox to these people. You, if you're going out to think that you're going to get standing ovations after every song or every, then this is not for you're you. Tripping. you're Yeah, you, you're. You may get one or two times where people are listening, you're like, oh, that's awesome. Here, claps, claps, really good. But you're not going to get like standing ovations like you would expect, like at like you know, a big arena or something that's never going to happen unless you are, you know, a big time musician coming to a local bar out of nowhere, then you're going to get that type of respect. But, you know, so it took me a couple times to really realize after I get done a, uh, a song and say, thanks, this song was that you get right into the next one. And, and unless you get a couple claps, you're like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. Then you go right into the next one. So I, and you know, it's been kind of like my mentality of like not expecting, uh, that type of thing. But when I do, it's like, Oh, okay, cool. At least I can kind of feel the crowd and I'm still learning how to feel out a crowd. Cause like knowing, you know, what people are digging, if I'm playing this type of music, then I know, okay, stick with this type of thing for, you know, at least the next, uh, couple songs and then try to switch it up and see how they feel. And then it's always kind of like playing to the crowd a little bit. So it's, it's always something new every time I'm playing. I'm so terrible at playing to a crowd because <laughs> I just, I'll get into my music and I just start feeling myself. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, F everybody else. Like, I'm feeling great right now. I've done that too. I remember this actually, <laughs> this one show where I performed and I, um, I'm what my friends called flamboyant with the F word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was kids at the show and I didn't oh, know. Oh, jeez. So... I'm doing my performance and I have like, you know, specific crowd chants. Like when I'm performing, sometimes I like to pay homage to 
the MCs that inspired me. Uh-huh. So during one of my songs called Hustle Hunting, mm-hmm. I break it down because I perform with the band. So I have time to like break down and do crowd chants and crowd interaction. Nice. And in the middle of the song, I do a crowd chant, which is from Redman's song, How to Roll Blunt. Uh-huh. And it's him saying, I'm high as F and I'm effed up. Uh-huh. So I'm saying that, like, and getting the crowd as, like, to say these that. These kids are like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I didn't know because I I didn't read the crowd You're in the I'm moment. <laughs> these kids, and I'm just f this, f that, like, <laughs> f the government, like, I'm going crazy. And the host gets up and is like, "Well, Tim just said f those kids respectfully," <laughs> and I'm like, "Kids, uh, uh those huh? kids." <laughs> hey my kids like <laughs> yeah like i'm sorry you brought your kids to a rap show like right if you're not gonna get uh money they, hey post, will smith up here like <laughs> <laughs> but i want to give a shout out to everybody who's been in the chat tonight uh thank you guys for tuning in so far if you guys are new to the show this is table talk i'm your host anthony irvin aka spoken life tonight i am with uh, my good friend Tim Jones, who is joining me on the uh, on the air tonight, and if you guys are watching later on, make sure to give this podcast a uh, follow, subscribe, give us a rate on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out, and we really appreciate all the support here. And um, you know, Tim, I, I I want to ask you, so coming from a uh you know guitar players that aspect and you you already had that um you know lineage of being you know an MC a rapper what made you want to you know i know you said you had like somewhat of an injury that you couldn't and you gave up a little bit of guitar and then so what kind of made you start going into like the MC hip hop uh realm and what made you want to start you know the uh you know, agent agency you have right now. I know you're saying you wanted to like with the what you were talking about of, uh, you know, you've seen all these big labels or labels in general that are treating people not uh, so pleasantly. And you wanted to, you know, flip that and you know have something that you're taking care of these people instead of treating them like, you know, a slave. So you're kind of putting them in their own aspects. So, but like, what was is there any more aspects that came about to, that made you really inspired to want to start this? So. Um, I've always had a huge love for hip hop since I was a young kid. Um, I remember, like, I grew up in Chester, so some people consider that the hood. Yeah. Um, I don't because I grew up there, and I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad, but I'm just desensitized. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, I grew up around what hip hop, hip hop culture cultivated from. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like 13 with my homies, and we're having rap battles, roasting each other, and that transpired to where, you know, I'd go home and I'd have my black side where I would be rapping with my friends, but they'd make fun of me because, you know, white kids play guitar and I shouldn't be playing guitar. And then I go to school and I'm at a private school where it's like, I should be playing guitar because I'm in jazz, man. I shouldn't be rapping because I'm white, not black. Yeah, right. So it's like, I constantly had to hide both sides from my friends. Right. And it was like, you know, specific friend groups, I would do specific things. And it got to the point where I just kind of completely put hip hop to the side because I was doing so much with guitar because I was playing in two different bands. Uh-huh. I was constantly doing shows with friends. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to, nobody wants me to do this anyway. And I didn't think that I really could 
like because I listened to such great MCs back then when I was writing, I was like, I can't write like Jizza. I yeah. can't write like Method Man. Like I can't write like Red Man. I can't do all of that. Uh-huh. So I can play guitar awesomely though, so that's good enough. Right. But um after my last stint in the band when I was touring in Long Island, uh, I used to sit out with my drummer and he was kind of the main person who pushed me and was like, do what you want to do, bro. Like, if you don't want to be playing guitar and you want to rap, go do it. Exactly. Like, you're good. Your flow's crazy. You can spit. Like, and it's funny because he compares my rapping to my guitar playing. Hmm. Because he'll be like, the way that you spit is the way that you solo on guitar. Yeah. It's kind of almost the same language in a different way. Yeah. And I'm hugely jazz influenced. Uh So a lot of my tracks are like, you know, I've got horns and upright bass and all this fun shit to where it's like, I can really explore my voice. Right. And after the tour, it was, um, which was when I was signed, like it sucked. They were telling me what I had to wear, what I had to play. Yeah. And I just really didn't like it. I mm-hmm. did not enjoy it at all. I enjoyed playing the shows and, right. you know, doing the things that come with the tour life of getting to party and have fun. But I hated playing the music. Um, and it kind of really put a distaste for guitar in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And then I went home and started working and cut my finger. Mm-hmm. So I had sliced my finger on a table saw and mm. I was, I can't, I think it was like millimeters or something like that. I was like 0.7 millimeters from cutting off my actual finger. And no, my so I had to stop playing guitar for about a year. Mm. So I was like, all right, that's a sign. Like I'm going to hone in on my writing. And yeah. I started writing basically every day. It was uh-huh. a constant, like I had to do at least 32 bars a day. Mm. And I was like, all right, I can't put out music for a year because of the contract that I was on. So I go into just write as much as I possibly can and come up with a bunch of cool plans. And I was sitting with one of my friends who's sadly not a part of the company anymore, but he was the original co-founder. And we were sitting at uh, this park and we were doing our partaking in our fun adult activities at the park. And I was like, man, I really just want to change the world. Like, Uh I want to change how music is. I want to change what's going on in the music realm right now. And we can do it. We just have to put our minds to it. Yeah. So he was like, all right, we're going to build a team and do it. And that day we were like, what are we going to call it? Like, what should we do? And I'm a huge person. I'm really into meditating. I'm really into like spirituality and everything like that. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to meditate in the park. We're going to hang out here and we're going to talk about this and figure it out. And by the end of the night, we had come up with the name Altruistic Vision. Um, we had come up with the idea. Right now, we're a collective of artists, but mm-hmm. our end goal is to be a label that uh-huh. isn't really more of a label, just more of like a promotion company for artists. Right. And, you know, I run training camps where it's like, I teach you how to perfect your craft. Like mm-hmm. when I do shows on rehearsal weeks, like I said, I put my artists through hell week. They hate that shit. Yeah. Um, because we're rehearsing our songs constantly. And it's like me, I go for jogs and rap while I'm running to be able to get that breath control. And it's like, I can teach people how to do things like that and how to become a better 
trained artist. Right. Like, people don't realize that the dude who's spinning his bass around his neck practiced that mm. and got smacked in his face at least 10 times before he got <laughs> it. Right. And I wanted to be able to show people that anybody could do it. And that was about uh, just over a year and a half ago that we coined the idea and everything like that. My first show with Altruistic Vision was uh, right before COVID. Had, well, I think I think COVID had like just hit by then. It was February twenty eighth, twenty twenty. Yeah, it was. It was just. It was uh, still like in the news, but it hadn't really like gotten a hit because I think it was almost a month later. Like, I think it was like March eighteenth yeah. or sixteenth that like everything shut down. I still remember watching TV and watching the NBA and just everybody leaving the stadium. So like everybody go home and they just said the NBA is suspended indefinitely. And that was the most eeriest thing that I've seen. I've obviously never really experienced, but like that was just the eeriest thing of just watching that moment of like everybody just like going home and like, Oh, we just got to stop everything. And then just like everything went for a halt and it was just all in that whole week. Like my show stopped, NBA sports, like no sports. We we didn't have sports for what four or five months, like nothing. Was and it really that short? I thought it was longer I, than that. It felt like forever. It, it felt, felt like it like did six feel to like forever. But I, I think I think they, I think the well, yeah, I think the NFL started a little late. Maybe they, I don't think they started in August. I think they maybe started like September, October. Maybe I might be wrong, but. I know we did have um, some sports later in the year, but it was it was very minimal, I think. And then we had all those problems with everybody getting COVID. Yeah. I remember a couple Steelers players got COVID. Oh, yeah. I think some Cavs players got COVID. Even in baseball, like um, the, the big, uh, I think it was like the Marlins. They had like a big outbreak and they like infected yeah, two or three other like teams. Their whole team? <laughs> it was like the whole, they, the whole team, I think it was they went uh, – into New York, they all partied the night before, and, the, and like most of the team caught COVID, they didn't know, and they infected like three, four of the teams. The rest of everybody, <laughs> like, insane. dude, like we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're going out to bars at night. Because <laughs> I don't think they the had because the, yeah, NBA first. was the only one that really had a bubble. Every, all the players were in a bubble, and you know, I think there was only maybe one or two outbreaks. But they did pretty well with the with the bubble situation, but like I think there uh, everything else. I think NFL did a bubble situation too. But I think I yeah, think they did. I think uh, baseball, the MLB, they didn't do any bubble uh, like quarantining or isolation. They just kind of went from state to state to state, and you know I think it just got shut down for <laughs> a couple weeks after that situation. I'm like, well, see, that's what happens. You know, you. It's you, like. It, life has been like a movie for the past like two years. Like this whole entire thing seems like a really badly directed horror movie. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I can definitely uh, vouch for. I'm pretty sure everybody that's watching now uh, that I don't think anybody would think that we would experience this type of thing in our lifetime. I definitely didn't. I was COVID for me. Like I had so many shows planned. Mm-hmm. And then it just ended all of them. And I'm an yeah. introvert. So for me, it was like, I get to stay in the house? <laughs> I don't have right. to leave? The government's telling me not to leave? Yes! Like, <laughs> And then, you know, it gets further and further down the line. And I'm like, I want to be extroverted. 
Right. But how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing with me. Like, I can usually amuse myself with something. If, if As long as I'm doing something, I can just kind of, you know make my mind wander and just like I'm, I'm a cause and effect guy so give me something that i need to like either fix or solve and i'll be on it for hours until i solve that issue and i and i think that's why like i love uh video production or like trying to find out you know a, a lot of how this show has been in production of like you know okay how do i you know do uh, interviews with people while live streaming. So I, you know, going through searches and trying to find the best way to do this without, you know, having laggy bad streams and trying to, you know, do all this stuff. It's like it was, it's, I've always been a person, like a good way of like solving problems or trying to find ways to solve something. And I think that just kind of amuses me to the point where, uh, once I find out that, you know, problem and solve it, I'm just like, yes, I accomplished something. <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like learning songs like you you're you're constantly practicing it until you get it right <laughs> yeah critical thinking is mad important yeah <laughs> especially for like brain stimulation because like i've been so bored like i got a drum set i got all these things where i was like i'm gonna do all this i'm gonna learn everything i'm gonna be amazing and i just sit here playing switch and working now that like i'm back into work and I'm like, man, by the time I'm home to, like, stimulate myself and do all this stuff, I don't even want to. <laughs> and I just wasted all that time when I had all the free time with COVID, not yep. practicing guitar, not practicing drums. Yeah. Just, like, I, I was lucky enough to be able to play a lot of shows still throughout mm -hmm. COVID because of the places that I've been associated with being like, oh, we can do shows just as long as, you know, we have proof that you've never had COVID, you're wearing a mask, and you pass the temp check. And we do social distancing. Yeah. So it's like, I'm really grateful for that. But I know for a fact if COVID wasn't a thing, that everything would be intensified by a, a thousand percent at mm -hmm. least. Right. And it's like, I miss the days of going to Tom and Jerry's and watching Wings and Jams and feeling comfortable. Yeah. But like, I miss the days of going out and being like, hey, this is going to be a good time, and I might not possibly die. <laughs> right. Like, you <laughs> always have to have a chip on your shoulder. You always have to have a chip on your shoulder and being like, I don't know where these people have been. And, and it's it's just even before COVID, you can think of the same thing, but now it's more of I don't know where this person's been. Like, I, I was in the Wawa the other day, and I'm usually not too much of a person like if if somebody's like right on top of me i'm not that type of person to be like get away from me but ever since this you know you know there's always that one person you know when you're in line and somebody's like right like on top of you and i and i'm usually not the person to kind of call them out uh but i i give them like i i, <laughs> I give them like the look like <laughs> back the f up but i'm like you know i kind of give them like the little like turnaround thing they don't get it but i'm like dude and in this type of time, it's like, get away from me. Like, I don't know where you've been. I don't know, you know, because, I mean, and I don't really talk too much uh, COVID stuff here. But, you know, at this point, you know, you, you kind of have to somewhat assume everybody's caught in this thing or you're going to eventually mm -hmm. have it. And but it's the fact that you still have to, like, be on some type of, you know, awareness of like, you know, with where you're going. You know, so it's it's crazy right. to think that way when, you know, just two years ago, 
you know, you go to a show, a, a packed out show with like 600 people and you didn't care where they were like two hours ago. You're like, dude, just shut up and listen to the band. I don't care where you've been. Now it's like, no, I want to know where you've been because I don't want to catch what you have. <laughs> I used to hug sweaty strangers in mosh pits. Exactly. Like, and I'm like, I would, I'm, I'm like, so no, I am not doing that right now. <laughs> I, I had tickets to a show for later this month, but I'm like, I got to sell the tickets because I, I don't like, and, and I'm, and I, again, I'm not scared to go. It's just, I mean, one, I, I have a young kid at home. I, I don't want to be that type of person to, exactly. you know, be selfish and, you know, be in, involved in like a big group of people. And God forbid I catch something. I don't want to bring it home to him because he can't get vaccinated. So God forbid he catches it. I don't know what's, how he's going to react to it. You know, so yeah, like that would dad, be that would be on <laughs> right. So he's my main, uh, you know, in sense of importance right now. So I, I'm eventually just going to sell the tickets and try to see if somebody wants to just go because I would love to see the bands and I've seen them before. So it kind of gives me a little more incentive to be like, okay, I'm a, not like I've seen them for the first time, but it's like to the point where it's like, okay, I mean. It's different times. I, uh, it's one thing if you're going to a bar and you see somebody playing in a bar. I mean. You might only be around like you know a, a small group of people, but if you're going to you know say Electric Factory or something, you're sitting around five six hundred people. You're like, okay, I mean, it's not like you're going to be social distancing from there. You're going to be on top of yeah, people. you will. And because nobody cares, like you're going to be shoulder to shoulder, whether you like it or not. And usually I'm, I mean, I've had my times in the pits. I've had my times in there. I'm the guy that sits in the rafters, enjoys the show now. Yep, <laughs> and I was like, and I just look down on the people. I'm like, I feel bad for all you guys. You, you see like the crowd moving and everything. I'm like, I used to do that. I'm like, I, I just want to watch the show. <laughs> I, I've gotten to that I'm that old man. Uh, I've gotten to that old man par- portion of my life. Like, dude, I just want to enjoy the show tonight. I don't want somebody bumping up to me. I don't need somebody kicking me in the face or punching me by an accident. I just want to enjoy the show and go home without any bumps or bruises. <laughs> I can't. Like, I've I'm the type of kid. Like, I broke uh, my ribs in a Slayer mosh pit. <laughs> I got knocked out in an anthrax mosh pit. Like I was a small kid in high school. Right. Like I'm only five seven now. Uh-huh. So I'm kinda of small. Like I'm tall for my height, but that's like that's it. Yeah. Uh uh so for me it's like I'm at the point where I'm I'm twenty five and I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> like do not do not pull me into the mosh pit. Do not push me because I will turn around and I'm gonna start snapping. Like and if I don't start snapping my girlfriend will do it for me because she knows I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. My, my, when we go to shows, my wife is not the person. Like, if somebody's coming towards you as a crowd surfer, she will not catch you. <laughs> She's like, hey, you you, you picked to go over top of me. You picked the wrong person. I am not catching you. So <laughs> if you come this that way, you're going to fall. <laughs> and she will have no care. She will have no care. And she's worse than me that when it comes to people being on top of her, like, and she knows when she's in a pit, you're going to be dealing with some sweaty people. But she does not like when she's like, you get off me. <laughs> she's that type of brother. Like, hey, you you need to take your distance and get off me. I know we're all you know sweating to death in here, but get the hell off me. <laughs> she's a G for that. She's a G for that, and I respect her. <laughs> And, and like you said, like you have your uh, girl with you, and sometimes like okay, well, I have at least some someone of my protection there because if something happens, at least I know 
you know, as a man, you know, you can protect yourself, but when you have a very, you know, strong-willed woman next to you, you know, okay, if I get knocked down, at least, you know, I have somebody else to be, be saying, like, hey, you know, if I get knocked down, this other person's going to come whoop that person and just knock me down. <laughs> Dude, my girlfriend is an effing badass. <laughs> she, so she actually, she's the COO of my company. Oh, and nice. And she runs the social media. She's the photographer. Um, she also is the main manager of all of the artists, so she's in charge of like their shows and promotion and all of that. Like that's she awesome. Is and she took me to see Jizza, who's my favorite rapper. He's a member of the Wu Tang Clan. For those who don't know, uh-huh. Wu Tang. Um, she uh, took me to see him, and my girlfriend's taller than me. She's six foot. Mm-hmm. I'm five seven. So you can you can see the height difference, right? And, <laughs> like people make fun of us all the time. But if she wasn't that tall, she would not have gotten me as my hat signed by Jizza. There you go. So Because she reached over everybody and was like, fuck you guys. My boyfriend's getting this. Like, And was like, Jizza! Thank and you, baby. And was like, I'm not signing anything that's not Wu-Tang. Signs my hat and then passes it back and is like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, that's, like, that's my girl. That's my girl that did that. Yeah, I was like, because me and her were sitting there rapping the entire show. Like, he was looking at both of us because this is my favorite rapper. I know every word to every song. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting there front row the entire show like, that's awesome. oh, snap, like going uh-huh. off. Getting hyped. And because she's listened to it so much, she knows it. That's awesome. So he saw us like rocking out the entire show and was like, I can't not do this. Right. Cause like I was about, I was wearing a Wu Tang shirt and when he said like only Wu Tang gear I was like okay like let's go <laughs> <laughs> and he, he just took the hat and I was like that's awesome you, you are God's greatest gift and I love you there you like, go greatest you moments the rest of your life you don't have a choice <laughs> that's awesome yeah moments like that are like moments you love not only being a musician but a a fan of music and musicians that like take pride in people who support them because you know we we, there's a lot of people out there that you know say they they care about the fans but they they can just treat them as like another number where there's a lot of even in the mainstream there 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 are still people that you know they care about their fans and they know if, if they didn't have fans they would not be you know having all those rewards and top billboards and all those but you know there are some people out there they're like you know yeah uh thank you for giving me all all this because uh yeah I'm I'm that good <laughs> and I can care I, less about you guys buying or something or not but I think having fans is like the coolest thing ever Oh yeah, because like I have, I have like three fans, <laughs> <laughs> and like it's cool because one of them actually like she owns her own company, and she went and made altruistic vision like trays, and she made me socks, and I had lighters, and it's like she was like you're just so dope that I just wanted to do it, and she did it for some of my other artists in the group too. That's awesome. And it's like you think my music's so dope that you put my face on a tray because you know that I smoke and you know that I said that I needed a tray. It's and you awesome when you have on. those moments with people that you would like, cause you, you never, you, when you write this music, you never think, I mean, that you're going to, you mean you, you write it for either specific people or a specific situation. You want to hope to connect with people, but you never somewhat expect to get that connection. But when you come to, and somebody comes to you and who has deeply, 
heard what you said in that song and got what you were talking about and then they go to that uh length to really show their support it's awesome like i i had like you know one or two people that you know came up to me about my songs and said like hey i mean i've been listening to this album for days and weeks months and it's just gotten me through a rough time i'm like damn that's like you know you don't you don't think that you're you would be hitting that hard to somebody but when somebody comes up to you and just says you know that i I had a rough day i put on your album and it got me in a better mood that's like the one of the biggest you know achievements and you know honors that somebody can give you that you know your music is making them feel a certain way it's amazing it's an amazing feeling honestly it really is it's the coolest feeling i can't think of anything cooler than when someone's like hey tim can you perform this song because i love this song of yours and i want to hear it tonight and i'm like really yeah i was going to anyway (laughs) which like i'm not telling them i was going to anyway but like i only have like six songs that i can perform so i'm like oh yeah like i can do that for you when i was gonna do it anyway but like you asked so it feels good in my heart (laughs) (laughs) well we've come to the show part of the show where we are going to do uh we're going to spin the table talk wheel so i'm going to show you what we're going to do so those are watching on the podcast obviously i you know, watching the audio versions of this, I'll kind of explain a little bit more as well. Uh, we have a spin wheel that comes on here, and there's three different topics. There's a top five, a uh, a little game show called This or That, and then we have a topic question. So we're going to spin this wheel, and whatever it uh, lands on, that's what the uh, what we're going to uh, talk about and kind of end the show with a little bit tonight. So let's see what we I get. I really hope it's top five. Top five. There you go. Top, 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 and it is five. top five. Let's go. So we I got wanted. top top five, everybody. So the top five that we are going to do tonight. We haven't had a top five in a while, so I'm stoked. So, uh, all right. So this is good. I I think we've done this before, which was, uh, you know, it was a little hard, but we might be able to, uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it might be a little bit easier tonight. So we're going to break down our top five favorite songs. And it could be from any genre, any, you know, age of like, you know, music. So, uh, Tim, I'm going to, and it can go in any order. It doesn't have to be from best to worst. It just whatever five you can think of. So Tim, what's your first uh, favorite song you have. And I know it might take a little bit of time to think. So, uh, while you're thinking, I'll just do a little, uh, you know, pitch of, uh, once again, I just want to thank everybody for, you know, tuning in tonight to the show. You're watching episode 28 of Table Talk with me, your host, Anthony Irvin, a.k.a. Spoken Life. Tonight, I am honored to be talking with one of my best buds, Tim Jones. We've had a fun night talking about, you know, music industry, uh, you know, our influences, rock in general, talking about his uh, agency. And we haven't talked in a while, but it's been awesome uh, keeping in touch with him. And now we are breaking down our top five favorite songs. And this can be either any genre uh, you know, from any age. So, so here we go. It seems like he's got his five. So, what's your first one, man? Five. Number one is "Cream," which stands for "Cash Rules Everything Around Me" by the Wu Tang Clan. There you go. 
All right. All right. So I'm going to get one favorite song. Number five, I'm going to, because I, this is something that just, pop, I'm trying to think something that just pops up into my head. I'm going to say the Beatles, uh, Twist and Shout, because that is something I actually, uh, when I was a kid, I didn't actually perform the song, but it was one, I guess it was one of my uh, first times being on a stage and performing. I was in, uh, what was it? I was in elementary school. And we had talent shows in our elementary school, and my mom and you know our friends, we we dressed up as the Beatles. We had the whole suits, and we dressed in like you know the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band gimmick. That and, is awesome. And we just went out there and did Twist and Shout. It was all, and we had like you know make 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 believe guitars and everything. We had a drummer. It was, but we were actually singing it. <laughs> We weren't playing it, but we were actually singing the songs, and it was awesome. It was one of my fondest memories that of is- you know, you know, music. So I, my first one is definitely uh, "Twist and Shout" by the Beatles. I picked "Cream" because that was the first Wu Tang song that I heard, uh-huh. and listening to the Wu Tang Clan changed my whole entire preface of life in general. Like, mm-hmm. um, not to get like bleak and dark, but when I was in high school, I was going through a very, very rough time. Um, my parents didn't have the best relationship. I wasn't in the best of health and I was just doing a lot of stupid teenager things. Uh-huh. And then I found the Wu-Tang Clan and they changed my entire life. And Cream is crazy because it's like this smooth beat where you have this nice sax intro with the da na 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 and then the piano going throughout it to me was just like beautiful. Like it's so simple, but so orchestral. Uh-huh. And then hearing Raekwon and Inspector Deck rap over that at that age was like, whoa. Because <laughs> like, back then, like at that time, I was more into the stuff that was out then. Like I was more into, you know, like 50 Cent Kanye West, Lil Wayne more things that were not shown to me at that point. And then I discovered Wu-Tang Clan. And after I discovered them, you know, I discovered Holographics and NWA and all those classic groups that, like, A Tribe Called Quest that I completely, like, changed my whole mindset on life because of that song. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool when you have a song that kind of just hits you in that moment of life and it just kind of has that light bulb switch that, you know, you need to just get your life back on track and just know, okay, like this is, this is something that, and that's the power of what music can do. And it just hits you. And you're just like, okay, this is what I need to do the, you know, the, the, to get myself back on track. And I, I love when music hits people like that. I love, I love hearing those type of stories. And, like, it's really hard to not put a bunch of Wu Tang songs as the top five greatest songs, <laughs> like my favorites. Uh-huh. But like, at the end of the day, like I listen to so much that I'm just like, all right, I can do it. I can do it. There's more than just Wu Tang, but I had to throw <laughs> one in there because Cream was just. I wake up every morning and still listen to that song. Nice. Like that song is what gets me through the day. That song is what gets me up and is like, all right, you can go to work because cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your second song? My second song is Devil in a New Dress by Kanye West and Rick Ross. Okay. That song proved that you could put a 
sick ass guitar solo and a rap song. Mm-hmm. Like that album to me, that album is one of my favorite albums of all time. It comes off of my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. And he, I can't remember what the sample is. It's, Oh man, I used to know this. Like, I think uh-huh. it was a stylistics sample or something like that, but it's beautiful piano. Uh huh. And just Kanye speaking his heart and, in the middle of the verses, it's like Kanye does about a 32 and then there's a guitar solo, which is just like the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh my God, there's a guitar solo in a rap song. Like that to me spoke greatly because that was at a time to where like I was at that point between guitar and hip hop to where that reminded me like, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And hearing a guitar solo in what as is known as like the greatest hip hop album of the 2010s uh-huh. made my life as a kid because it really helped shape my idea of how I could do my music. Mm. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, again, it, it's awesome when you have something that hits you in that uh, type of field to really connect with uh, those type of songs, man. And uh, so, I, and as you were talking, I was trying to think of the second song that I had. So uh, I'm gonna go with a Jimmy song. And I was talking to you about it last night. I have to go with uh, "Power of Soul." Nice. That song. Uh, I used to, you know, in my early years, drive with my dad because uh, he used to. Uh, he was a teacher up in Chichester when I was younger. So he would take me, you know, and he would, you know, be going to class and I would just be, you know, going up to Chichester. I spent a lot of, a lot of time in my younger years up in Chichester. And when I would be playing basketball for Sun Valley, you know, I, when we go to Chichester to play, I felt I knew almost everybody at Chichester when, you know, Sun Valley and Chichester had, were like the biggest rivals. Uh, and they, I think they still yeah. are to this day. So it's like, I was always in the middle of like, okay, I know people in Chichester, but I'm not supposed to, like these people, but I'm like, I know so many people, <laughs> but so I, my dad used to always play power of soul and just that beginning, you know, uh, and I always go back to the, where he's, uh, playing it at the, uh, the New Year's Eve special in New York city, I believe, uh, with the band of gypsies. And, you know, it just starts so quietly. The and he just comes in and just breaks that. And then, you know, Buddy Miles with the uh, the drum beats and he just hits that snare. And Jimmy comes in with that wailing uh, first note. And it's it's amazing that that with Jimmy, uh, you know, maybe want to listen to more of him. And then, you know, I got into more of Are You Experienced? I, I dissected that album, you know, front to back when I was a kid because uh, I learned, you know, the Purple Haze, the Stone Free, uh, everything from that album. It, it, that just was the biggest influence of uh, me growing up as a kid playing guitar. Like, I, I wanted to be <laughs> just as good as Jimmy. And I was yeah, always right? di- I was always dissecting his uh, videos and, you know, looking like, okay, how is he playing that? And then, you know, now that we have like, you know, slow motion stuff and YouTube, you can actually, you know, slow down the little pixels and stuff and see where his, but even then he, he just is like a freak Ridiculous. with the fretboard. And again, you can talk all night, but it's just, you mean, Jimmy all day for me. So power soul by Jimi Hendrix is uh, a number two for me. 
So I'm actually my number three is a Jimi Hendrix song as well. <laughs> uh, my number three is "Wind Cries Mary." Um, I got a story about that too. <laughs> for me, that I had a really strong connection with my great grandmother, uh-huh. and she passed away when I was young, mm. and that was one of her favorite songs. And mm. I'm not like big into like, uh, like funerals and uh-huh. stuff like that. I'm not good at them at all. Right. I am very emotional, mm-hmm. breakdown and cry type person. <laughs> right. Um, so we went to the funeral and they were playing a version of the wind cries Mary on the organ. Wow. And I was like, what is that song? Like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, that probably would have got and me too. <laughs> went home and looked up what it was because my uncle was like, oh, that's just a church version of Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. And I'm like, wow. He has a song called Wind Cries Mary? Like, I've never heard that. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, because <laughs> at that time, like, I think I'd only listened to Are You Experienced? And yeah, and I think it was from that album. Yeah, too. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. It, yeah, it was, it was Are You Experienced? Yeah. Yeah, and that was like the only one that I had, like, dived into and i was like mm-hmm. man purple haze is the only cool song but yeah that's why it wasn't that good. so then i was like all right well i have it let me go listen to it and was like how i think that was his second or third single after purple haze because i think it went purple haze hey joe and then wind cries mary so i think that was one of oh, like the top three that. i think that was one of the top three first singles he had and That's not crazy. knowing until later, Hey Joe was technically a cover for him because somebody else, it was somebody else's song. And I mean, I always thought it was his, but I, I think from, you know, listening to tons and tons of footage about it, it was actual a cover song that he played. But, uh, you know, so I think it was Purple Haze, Hey Joe, and Wind Cries Mary that was like his first three singles that came from that album. And that, those chords in the intro. Oh, yeah. Are just so nice. It is my favorite song to play hands down oh yeah so i won a talent show playing that song and that was that was one that was the first time playing on stage by myself in a talent show and i'm like i don't know what to play but i I always had a connection with wind cries mary and i always loved playing that and i love the solo in that it the solo in that is like so musically inspiring and and i just hit it and and i was just up there with a guitar so i didn't have any backing band it was just me and a guitar playing that and i you know i won first place did not expect and you know there you know third place goes to this second place goes to this and first place anthony Irvin. i'm like what (laughs) so i'm walking up and i I was very surprised so and i and i feel that was like my moment of like you know, no, okay. I I think I can actually play with bands, and it, like it started getting me motivated to you know do more with it. So, I uh, yeah, that that's always a, a story I tell. Wind cries Mary. And it, it was cool how you brought up Wind cries Mary because I I love that song too. There's so many Hendrix songs that I love, but Wind cries Mary is definitely a, a favorite of mine. I could honestly probably put Wind cries Mary as my number one favorite song, but at the same time, like Prince is my favorite artist. Mm-hmm. Ever, yeah. So like, all of his songs are gonna just be like top. Like, I'm not gonna say what it is now since we're not at number like <laughs> one yet. But 
like obviously like Prince is gonna be my number one. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who knows me already is like, oh, I it's coming. Know it it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so a number three for me. I think I'm gonna have to probably go a little bit um, different with this. I'm gonna have to probably go a city and color song, uh, Dallas Green, and I actually play this song, and it's called Waiting. And when I first listened to it, when I first listened to it, like I love the lyrics to it. And then listening to live versions of him playing it, I I love his explanation of it, of what it's basically about. He's like, I I take it as he, because he always like, somebody, people are always like, well, why are you always so depressed when you're, uh, you know, singing about like depressed? He's like, I'm not depressed. It's it's more of a happy-go-lucky song about dying. (laughs) <laughs> it, yeah. it's more the fact that I mean we're all gonna eventually die so just be happy you know so it's, it's a, a happy-go-lucky version of, of just dying but it's the the lyrics don't make it sound depressing it's more of like more you know of something to be like uplifting to be like it's okay to think those things we're, we're all eventually gonna do it so you might as well just live in the now and just live every day to the fullest so that's the way i take of it so i love the meaning behind it that's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. So I think we're oh. both into our fourth. Four now, right? Usually the fourth and fifth are usually getting pretty tough. <laughs> so I already know my number, my number, like my mm-hmm. five or one, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Mm. There you go. Um, the guitar solo on that song is one of my favorite guitar solos ever Mm. just because of like slash coming out with the soul like bro oh yeah the first time i heard that shit was mind-blowing and then seeing it live (laughs) oh i can imagine that like my dream to go see guns and roses live Mm -hmm. and at the time i was dating this girl who took me to go see them Mm. and like it was funny as shit because she tried to kiss me during the November Rain solo, and I was like, "Look, I'm watching Slash right now. Don't like, ruin this moment for me." <laughs> <laughs> and like, I felt I like now in retrospect, I kind of feel bad that was an, like that was an a hole move because right. she bought me the princess surprise for my birthday. We were fifth row, but like, come on, you! I have a Slash out of out of all the you times. Can't take me to see Slash <laughs> and expect me to not want to stare at Slash. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it was in the middle of the first solo when he, you know, like, the bends on that song. Oh, yeah. It's like, amazing. And then going into the second solo where he's like, wow, now, wow, like, <laughs> mesmerizing. And here live was just the coolest shit ever. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I could have died that night and been completely happy. Like, I got to, like, I got to see every song that I've wanted to. And, like, I could switch out November Rain for Rocket Queen just mm. because that's my favorite guitar riff of all time. Uh-huh. And like my favorite song to play live just because I love the slide solo and the ending solo. Mm-hmm. But November Rain has to take it because it's just a all around better song. Yeah man. And like oh God, those ending solos. Use your illusions one and two were the greatest fucking albums from mm-hmm. Lots of Roses. Yeah man. They were, I mean, I w- like I said, I wasn't the biggest, biggest Guns N' Roses fan, but I was definitely into, you know, that 
that whole era of like you know the classic rock slash guys and just you know the the classic guys that had that hard beating Axl Rose singer with a, a killer guitar player and like the full rock sound and you know so like I said I I never got to see them live but I did see Velvet Revolver so I did see I did see Slash live. I saw him and oh Scott Weiland. I think it was Scott Weiland. He was still in the band at the time. So I, I, I do remember I went with my uncle and we saw them at the Spectrum. So that was an awesome time. And again, like I got to see Guns N' Roses do Slither. Ah, nice. I literally broke down and was like, I wish I could see Scott. I wish I could see him do this. Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he was amazing. Me was what I wanted Guns N' Roses to be. Right. Like, I felt like Velvet, like, I love Guns N' Roses to the death of me, but I felt like Velvet Revolver was the better version of Guns N' Roses because Scott's vocals compared to Axel's, like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I love Axel. But Scott is, like, my favorite frontman in rock and roll. Yeah. There's not a person who could compete with him other than, like, Chris Cornell, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. like, because I saw Stone Temple Pilots. Nice. And it was, like, the greatest shit ever. And then seeing them again, I got to see them with Chester singing. Uh-huh. And I was just like, man, I miss Steve. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy when you're watching something and you don't uh, understand the significance of what you're watching until later down the line, you're like, I was witnessing something that I didn't even understand what I was witnessing at the time. Like, you know, listening to Velvet Revolver live and everything that happened to Scott Weiland and him passing is like one of the only times like I really got to see him and seeing like a, a legendary performer like him that, you know, I guess, I mean, I'm sure many people saw, but some people, again, just like anything, don't get to see a lot of their favorite bands play. So I, I I sometimes forget that I've seen Velt Revolver, but usually you know talking when you were talking about Slash seeing Guns N' Roses, I'm like I I, I do remember, I did see Velt Revolver at the Spectrum, and that's when they just came out with their first album. So I, and I heard Slither, I heard all all like the uh, you know the singles and all everything. It was awesome. I I'm a huge like as you can see by the tattoo, I'm a huge Slash fan. So I've seen Slash. In all of his renditions, That's I got awesome. to see Slash with Miles Kennedy and Conspirators. I've seen Slash's Snake Pit. I've seen Guns N' Roses, and I've seen Slash do acoustic stuff. That's cool. Which like, it was it was really weird. It was really weird, but it was really cool because it was him and Miles Kennedy. And Miles Kennedy, for those who don't know, is the singer of Alter Bridge. But he okay, also yeah, yeah, yeah. Guitars. And Slash and still he, rips on acoustic too. <laughs> yeah, like and Miles. Slash will tell you that like Miles is a better guitarist than him. They'll sit there and battle on hmm. who's better. Cause Miles would be like, I can't do what Slash does. Like I can't fucking do that. And Slash yeah. would be like, Man, he's such a fucking crazy technical player that yeah. he, he's just better. And seeing them together was insane because they're doing Slash songs. Uh, they're doing uh, Snake Pit songs and Guns N' Roses songs. Uh huh. So while Slash is doing his solos, you know. Miles is doing all of Izzy's parts and all of the other parts that Slash wrote for the Slash for the Snake Pit stuff and for the Conspirator stuff. And 
seeing them together doing that was mind-blowing. Like, seeing other people obsess over Slash the way that I do when they're famous uh-huh. was like cool as shit because the whole entire time he's just like, I'm here with Slash. I'm here with Slash. And I'm like, you're Miles Kennedy. Yeah. Like, I would die to be able to sing like you and play guitar like you. And you were freaking out over the fact that you're touring with Slash. Right. Like, that's just so cool. It's cool when you see musicians like that that, you know, idolize other big musicians and they just, you know, they admire, you know, the craft. Like how you were saying, like, you know, Kennedy was saying, I can never do what Slash does. Slash is saying, well, he's this type of return. Like, they both admire what they both do and they just they connect both and they make great music together. So it's awesome when musicians can support other musicians that are on somewhat of the same level and they just love the craft of somebody. It comes with the love of the craft. I think like if you Mm -hmm. actually love what you're doing and aren't in music for the money, then everybody's going to love you and you're going to love everybody. Absolutely. man. I can't, I can't agree with that more because like, I just love the art. I just love the music. So for me, it's like, whether you're coming out with something that I think might be like whack or not, I'm still going to be like, it's music and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I am very judgmental on mainstream music because like it's mainstream music. We can be, but you know, unless somebody's really, 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 really terrible, I'm probably going to love it just because it's music and it's art. Right. Exactly. Anybody that, uh, you know, kind of you know and, and like we we're saying in the beginning i mean you're not going to get everybody that likes you there's going to be people that i uh, don't like somebody but in the same fact they're up on a stage playing in front of x amount of people the person that says oh well this guy's not very good i say to them all the time like why don't you get up there and do the same thing oh yep. no 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 i can't do that okay then exactly shut up <laughs> you get it. this dude is expressing himself up there and he's trying to pour out any type of emotion. So for you to say like, Oh, he can't do that. He's, he's not that great. He's great to some extent. You just, uh, it may not be what you want to hear, but it's great to so many more people in this room. So can it (laughs) exactly kiss my biracial booty. (laughs) (laughs) So number four for me, uh, Metallica's seek and destroy. So nice. my first band, I, I can, we I, used to I, I end our sets. There you go. <laughs> and I will have a sip of my beverage for that. Uh, my old, my old band, we used to end our set with that. And we used to get everybody, you know, circle pitting and ever go, going crazy with those. And uh, it was, it was the one and only Metallica song that we would cover, but you know, we had like the whole metal heads and everybody going out for that. And everybody was start like, you know, circle pitting and everything. And we got so much into it. Cause we, we thought we were going to be the next Metallica <laughs> and we we're just like, yeah, we're getting yes. out here, blah, blah, blah. But we're, we're playing, you know, our local area. And, but you know, we, we had two main stage, uh, Trocadero shows and we sold like over 200 tickets. That's sick. And we had, and we had a lot of bands that were on our bills that were selling mad tickets as well. We had almost a thousand people at a show before out of all the bands. And, you know, and it was, I think at the time where, I mean, a lot more people were more eager to go to shows and we had a good following too. I think if we still would have kept together, 
uh, and you know, we had our own ways of parting, but I still f- I feel if we were still together to this day, we, we would have been doing U S tours or at least, you know, some type of East coast, uh, mid, mid U S tours and everything. Cause I think we were that good yeah, and we were getting, lit. we were getting into a, a new level of our music. It's just, you know, sometimes, you know, we, uh, you know, I think it was just more of like a, a musical, directions we wanted to go they they wanted to go one way i wanted to stay like a certain way and we just couldn't meet in the middle about it man that's like the worst feeling because that's how sour potatoes had their ending just because everybody wanted to do something different and yeah we were all ridiculously talented and actually it wasn't everybody wanted to do something different the bassist wanted to do something different me and the drummer wanted to stick on the same thing and it was just like we were really crazy at what we did because we were all in jazz band together. We all loved metal and we all loved funk. Mm-hmm. So like bringing all of that together, you're like, come on, this is ultimate, like we're killer. But then, you know, everybody's young and has egos. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Like e- e- I think egos are like the biggest thing with when it comes to young bands because they they feel oh their band's better than this band and this band's better than that. But you know, at the end of the day it's like, you know, we're all doing the same that we all want the same goal. So it's, you know, we we should all be banding together instead of trying to compete. But I feel in, especially in in um around here, I say this a lot uh, on the show with some people. I don't see many young kids in bands anymore as much as they were when I was young. Like when I was in high school, when I was in high school, being in a band was very meaningful. But like I feel today and in different times, but I feel today, like I don't see many people coming out of or who are in high school that are forming bands. And it doesn't matter what, like rock, funk, anything. I, I, I feel like being in a band isn't as cool in high school these everybody days. wants to do producing now and like everybody is yeah. in that aspect of what it's like oh i can just use the computer like i don't need to learn how to play instruments so half of these people can't be in bands absolutely i wanted to pull something up from the comments uh kate says i think something artists have to accept also is everyone might not vibe with your stuff either kate i i, I can't agree more that i mean <laughs> hello hello <laughs> and i agree i mean you, you got to accept that you're not gonna get everybody's positive side of your music and th- that you're not gonna win everybody over but the people who oh, yeah. continue to you know vibe with you or buy your albums buy your merch come to your shows those are the ones that are going to keep spreading the word to you and you know if you continue to st- like stick on that path of thinking about the positives and stop and try not to uh, put too much inkling into the negatives of people saying a, a, what negative things people may say about you. You know, the positives are always going to outweigh the negatives. I always say that people talking smack is my favorite sound. And, you know, in, like, in this day and age, you get more haters, the more rep, the more exposure you get anyway. So <laughs> exactly. So it's like, People are going to talk smack regardless, so you might as well just take it with a grain of salt, brush it off your shoulder, and move on. Right. So we got one uh, more each. So we got five. I pretty much know what you're going to uh, – probably know what you're going to say. I know what artist. I may not know the song, but I know the artist, so let's hear it. <laughs> you want to guess it before I say it? Purple Rain. Yeah, you're right. There you <laughs> you're 
<laughs> Purple Rain is the epitome of what music should be. I've never Rain. seen the full <laughs> Prince movie, but I've seen bits and parts. I gotta watch the whole thing from from front to back, though. I love the movie. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Morris Day and the Time is in it, and I love the time. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, the song Purple Rain is it's just like all right. A the album itself is fantastic. Like I could put really any of the songs on that album at my number one. Like Computer Blue uh-huh. uh, is one of my favorite Prince songs, just because of like the musicality of it. Um, and then the beautiful ones, like. I I cry hearing that, so I don't listen to it often. <laughs> Little <laughs> Red Corvette so is a really good song too for me too. And like I will fight to the death of this. Prince is the best songwriter, artist, guitarist, person, whatever you want to call him, he's the best. He he's produced everything. He, His he, first he, album, he was seventeen and played all twenty seven instruments on it, produced all of it, wrote all the music himself, taught the band how to play the songs, mm-hmm. he went on tour and played live. And he again, that's not not many people know that. Like I didn't know that he wrote the score to the nineteen eighty six Batman movie. The or eighty or eighty nine. He he did the actual theme. And I'm like, now that you like hear the influence, I'm like, oh, that's Prince all over. <laughs> and then he had his whole own Batman album. Oh yeah, and I was like, and like, w- when you hear it later, you're like, oh, that's Prince all over that stuff. And again, again, he plays the whole, like playing the bass, guitars, singing, everything. The dude was a a, a freak, talented musician. <laughs> he is my like number one musical inspiration, and the only reason that like I still play instruments and incorporate that into what i do because he is the epitome of carefree living life how the way he wants to like he will come into the show and take your girlfriend home wearing high heels and a dress like and what are you gonna do about it yeah nothing because he's prince and like i remember when he died i was i a i broke down I yeah. was not okay for like a week because he was the one artist that I had left on my bucket list of favorites to see. Mm. And I was like, I need to see Prince. I need to see Prince. I need to see Prince. And like, now I'm never going to be able to do that. Yeah. So I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to live how I feel Prince would want me to live because energy does not die. Can't be destroyed nor created. So he's here in the universe oh yeah and he knows that i walked in <laughs> absolutely i i totally agree with that statement man i mean even though they may not be here in person they're always spiritually looking down no matter what and you know just like prince and and jimmy their presence will always be around as long as their music is still around you know, and there's always going to be somebody that discovers them and just wishes, oh, and then there's going to be that person, like, oh, you should have seen them when they were alive, man. It, it was a vibe. And, you know, it's it, it it's definitely tragically sad that he was taken, you know, so unexpectedly because I don't think anybody's seen that coming. And especially, no, I, especially I know I didn't. I did not expect that. 
because I, I thought of him as like one of those. I thought of him as like <laughs> the Keith Richards of like him living forever and like <laughs> and him like yeah. writing music up until you know his dying day, which he did, I'm sure. But like him living until you know he'd be running when he's like in wheelchairs and you know. But it, it's 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 tragic when you know your idols uh, pass because you know we think of these people as we forget they're human but we we so idolize these people and we and we forget they're humans we think they're so bigger than just a human but then when you break them down they're just like you and me and they you know they breathe the same air as us they get up and go to sleep just like uh, and you know it's just they may just have a little bit more of a reputation than the 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 normal person but you know it's it's uh one to leave a mark on your name when you when you pass and i think he's definitely left an impact on the music industry and people who know his music and now it's coming out more the fact that he he wrote for so many people that many people don't even realize i know i didn't know how much he wrote for other people and that's even more of the genius that he wrote for other people (laughs) he is literally uh well he was literally like the most undercover greatest person ever he would take money out of his royalties from i think it was graffiti bridge i can't remember if it was purple rain or graffiti bridge but he would take them and then use that to fund art schools and music schools in minnesota Mm. and wouldn't say shit to anybody like nobody knew any of this thing about him until he died and his like family came out and was like oh man like now we can't do this because Prince is dead. Like, yeah, he used to take so much money and put it to art programs and music programs, and he would train artists. And it's like if you got the stamp of approval from Prince, then you knew you were the shit. Right. And I like I needed that stamp of approval from Prince. Mm-hmm. Like, I spent my early artist years in development and like on touring, being like, one day I'm going to play with Prince. And I have to impress Prince. I don't give a shit about impressing anybody else in the world. <laughs> Everybody else can go F off. I want to impress Prince. Right. And it's like, oh, I'm never going to know now. Right. And that's upsetting. It is. I, I, I can understand that. <laughs> All right. So I got Rain is the greatest guitar solo in the world. Which one is that? The guitar solo from Purple Rain. Oh, yeah, dude. It. it and especially when he plays it live and just kind of draws it out, it's like you're just in that moment. You're just like, this is amazing what I'm hearing. I cry. And so, so I have one more, and I'm gonna go with John Mayer because he he's definitely you know something like I love for him. for our for our era. John, Mayer, I've become I've become a bigger John Mayer fan over the last couple of years, and because I I mean. I got to go with Continuum because I I started listening to him once Continuum came out. Continuum is his best album. I don't care what anybody says. I'm sure I'll have people agree with me, disagree with me. Continuum, best album. And he's had some good albums. I I love the new album. I love his album before, but Continuum is his best work. I got to say... That's the one with Neon and Slow Dancing in the Burning Room, right? Slow Dancing in the Burning Room. And that is my actual song. Slow dancing in a really? burning, slow dancing in a burning room. I love that That's song. That's hilarious because that is my favorite John Mayer song. There you go. <laughs> I love that song. Just the, the way he, 
it's just speechless in a way because you know, some somebody that just has that type of you know thought process and you know taking and knowing that I've learned a little bit more about theory, breaking it down from a theory standpoint, it's just like the dude is on another level with his guitar playing, and especially with a new album, you know. This is a guy that comes from a big R&B, blues type of thing. And then he comes out and makes an 80s, like, rock-inspired album just out of nowhere. He's just like, Amazing. hey, this is what... And Amazing. he said, like, this is this is what I've wanted to kind of put out for years. but just had, And he just throws it out there. It sounds nothing like his old stuff, but it, it, it has his signature sound in there. But it's... I, I love every... I mean, I love pretty much almost every song on, on that new album. And I'm glad, like... You know, he put a lot of the singles that he's had over the last, like, what, like, two years that he's been putting out a couple singles here and there, but he put them yeah. all on this album, and just, it, it, it was a solid album. But yeah, Continuum will always be uh, the staple beginning parts of me listening to John Mayer, and, uh, you know, the songs that had, you know, Daughters and Neon and all those. I mean, they're, they're great songs, but I think, obviously, what got him on the map was Continuum. Like And that whole John L.A. concert, if you haven't listened to the L.A. Uh, concert... That, that's, that's what I was literally about to say. Like That whole show... He's my favorite guitarist of our generation. Yeah, same. Like, if you talk guitarist out of the 2000s, like, I don't care about Sinister Gates, because... John Mayer's gonna blow him out the water. I don't care that he can sweet pick. I don't care about any of that. Like my dad's never John been a, a fan of people that can play fast. He's like, you can play as many notes as quick as possible because it's not how many. It's not about how many notes you can pick. It's what notes you pick. I say that to people all the time because, like, I don't know how to sweet pick because Neither. I've never been. I've never wanted to learn. I, I, I never had. I, I never wanted to be the fastest person. And I always like writing a melody type uh, solo more than trying to see how many you know notes I can, or how fast I can play a guitar solo. If, if it has uh, a feel and groove and vibe, that's and I, like I said, we come from the John Mayers, the Hendrixes, Eric Clapton's that they weren't fast. Jimi Hendrix wasn't even really a fast player; he just knew what notes to pick. Exactly. Clapton's so, literal nickname was slow hand. Like, right. <laughs> the to me the best guitarists are the ones who know when not to play yeah and that's and the hardest thing you would think like oh just don't but it, it's it's the hardest thing to do like is when you're playing you just think okay it's gotta you know keep on playing because you're thinking pentatonic do this and they, but then you're like like you just said like there's times where it's okay not to play and wait for that uh, next moment to hit because you're waiting for that chord change to come up or waiting for this. So it's okay to take a two second breather to make sure to, you know, so it's, it's dissecting like solos and everything. And, and John Mayer hits it out, you know? Yeah. Literally. Like I love the studio version of slow dancing in a burning room, mm -hmm. but that LA version, Oh, yeah. When he does, like, the first solo was sick, but the second one, where it starts with the, like, we're in here, we're in here, like, mm -hmm. hearing that live with that tone was like, oh, like, that was just disgusting. Like, yeah. I, I would much rather be able to play the way John Mayer plays than be able to play the play that somebody like, you know, Sinister Gates or Kirk Hammett plays. Right. Because... To me, like, 
that's where the soul is. That's where the meaning is. That's where you're going to get the goosebumps. Yeah. Like, yeah, all that shredding shit's cool. Right. Like, it's impressive. You're talented. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But can you make me feel something? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's where the difference gets cut off. Like you're those type of thing. Like when you're like the Kirk Hammett's sinister gates, Dimebag Daryl's RIP to I mean, he a great guitar player, but you know, they have moments where you're like, Oh man, that was an awesome thing. What they did. But when you hear something that, you know, Clapton Hendrix, um, uh, Pink Floyd, uh, anybody like they make you feel something during those things. Like every note they play is like making you feel something, you know. So it's it's a difference when it comes to, uh, you know, those different styles of play. Like the the feel and vibe of those is way different in in, in those. But I like you hit it on the nail that, that you're like I want to I want to feel something when I'm hearing a solo, I don't necessarily always care about how fast it's being played because, you know, you, you can fake your way through a fast solo any sometimes, but when exactly. you're playing something that has like consistent notes that you have, like it's, it can be tough. I love when people try to be like, Oh, the blues is so lame because they're just playing so slow and doing mm-hmm. like only like BB King was the king yeah. of ghost notes. They didn't, they didn't call him king for nothing. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, it upsets me that like guitarists nowadays don't have an appreciation for that. Like everybody has to do that tapping and the double plucking with their thumb and like all yeah. this crazy shit. And I'm like, it's impressive. It's fantastic. There's time awesome. and places for like, that. Yeah. Like, right. you can't expect, and like this is just me as a guitarist, like you can't expect all guitarists to think that because you can do that, you're like, you know, some, all that in a bag of chips. Yeah. Like, especially when you have people like Peter Frampton. Like, he revolutionized the talk box. Mm-hmm. When he came out with Do You Feel Like We Do, like, obviously I wasn't alive, but I know that it revolutionized music and how people use the talk box because a lot of people didn't really use it before then. Like, yeah, you had Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith where Joe Perry used it in the intro. But before Frampton, like, he doesn't solo fest. He had the talk box, and he stayed in the pocket ridiculously. Yeah. Like, and the way that he did it was so meticulous that it's like, if you were to go and try to sweep and shred through his songs, it would sound ugly. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel like a lot of music is. Like they sit here and try to add all of this stuff. And I'm like, you're, you're just doing too much. You're so not focused on like, you know, being a show off, but you're not worried about what fits in the song. Yeah. Like ACDC's drummer. Everybody wants to make fun of him because almost every sound song, every song sounds the same. Uh huh. Yeah. But they kicked ass. Mm-hmm. They knew how to write a kick-ass like, song. Exactly, and it's just about making. Like, I'm all for art history and doing whatever you want to do, but like, when it comes to guitarists, 
there's not enough of an appreciation for those who don't shred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, people are like, oh, if you can't shred, you're not a good guitarist. And I'm like, that's just disrespectful because... Yeah, there's so many... a lot of people who don't shred who blow me out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you got that dog. Like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, this has been a hell of a time. I had so much fun talking to you about, you know, music, what you've been up to lately. I'm stoked to, you know, see the growth of uh, your company and, you know, hopefully more artists come your way and you can inspire more people to be, you know, doing what they love. And again, this was our top five. Let us know what your top five is in, in the comments. If you're watching this later or if you're watching this on repeat, let us know in the comments. Uh, Tim, is there anything else before we get out of here? Anything you want to promote anywhere? Uh, where can people check you out? Uh, anything you want to just say before we get out of here, man? Um, I am going to be dropping an album very soon. It's called Dark Shades uh, because I love sunglasses. Usually I'm always wearing sunglasses. This is actually like one of the first interviews and talk shows that I've done where I'm not wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and that shows that I'm comfortable with you because like I know you and you're my homie. So it works out. There you go, um, man. I do have some shows coming up. You can check all of them out on the Altruistic Vision page on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, all of our news is posted there. Most of my personal artist's news is posted there just because I'm not very good at social media. So uh, as you can see next to my name below me, which I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to be like, look below. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on my Instagram, the Tizza, which is where I post funny memes and talk about my music. Um, but that's really it for me. Come follow Altruistic Vision. Follow me on Instagram. If you find my Twitter, you'll enjoy that because I'm hilarious. Um, and Dark Shades will be coming out in probably about like less than a month. There you go, guys. Well, First keep album, an, guys, keep an eye you. out for Tim's stuff. He's going to be dropping a lot of stuff. So I'm looking forward to hearing it, and I hope you guys are too. This has been Table Talk, episode 28, guys. Thank you all for joining me tonight, and thank you all for uh, you know the continued views. And make sure you guys, once again, make sure you guys are subscribing, following, and give us a review on Apple Podcast. Tim, it was a pleasure talking to you tonight, uh, and I will be talking to you soon, brother. Have a good night, all right? See you very soon, boss. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.